coming up on this episode of The Hive Life. Well, so first of all, I, I heard it summarized very effectively a couple years ago. Somebody was talking about culture, a very successful business from the UK, and they said, why invest in culture? And they said, culture is the one sustainable advantage that any business can create. No other advantage is sustainable in the long run other than culture. Welcome to The Hive Life, where we pull back the curtain on Spherical Media, a company based in Charlotte, North Carolina, with a team of former journalists that create beautiful, impactful stories that connect with your audience. Welcome to this episode of The Hive Life. We're coming at you from the Spherical Media Podcast Studio here in the south end of Charlotte. I'm Jared Latch, and our guest today is John Espy, CEO and co-founder of Defiance Ventures, and he's also involved in a whole lot of other stuff, and, and we'll hit some of that in a moment. John, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks so much, Jared, for having me. Well, John, let's start off uh, with the current role at Defiance Venture. And as I mentioned, you have some other stuff going on at the same time. But as founder, give us the elevator pitch on what Defiance is all about. Sure. So Defiance Ventures is uh, we're building a portfolio of enterprise B2B SaaS products. And we're also building a portfolio of enterprise um, service businesses that can support the portfolio businesses, but also third-party customers as well. So that includes a consulting company that can do application development, cloud architecture, migrations, um, as well as uh, product design. And then we also have an agency where we do kind of more of the creative ad buying, marketing uh, side of things as well. How did you get to that point where you you wanted to put this thing together? Because you mentioned those pieces. Sure. So I've, I've been in consulting um, and I've been in product companies before. And one of the consulting companies that I was the chief operating officer of was actually acquired by Red Hat. And I saw there that the reason they acquired us wasn't because they wanted the revenue of the consultancy. They really wanted us to drive a consultative sales approach for the products, support the products, and ultimately give feedback to the products. And so I saw the power of combining a consultancy with, with product companies. Um, after that experience, through helping to start a couple of product companies, um, I went back to my consulting roots and with a, with a friend started a consulting company called Level with two Vs. And during Level, I, I really started to appreciate all the things we were doing for product companies and the sales capabilities that we had built. And I thought, what if I could take those and apply those to products? My partners at Level didn't want to go that direction. Um, so I, I stepped down from the day to day and started just thinking a lot about what how I could build something like Defiance. I had found a couple of projects that I could work on that were potential joint ventures um, that would have been a good way to start that process, but no, none of those really uh, panned out. And then by September of last year, I was brought in to do some advisory work for a product business doing purely advisory work. And it turned out that the best option was to acquire that business and run it uh, with, with a business partner of mine. And so I presented him with all of the concepts I'd been developing for Defiance. He really liked it. And, and we did that. We closed on our first acquisition. We've now done three. We're working on three more and we've done three minority investments as well. So a lot of people look at uh, entrepreneurship, business ownership. They wonder, you know, hey, how do you get started? And, and I'd love to get into it someday. But looking at where you are now, it is all that cumulative experience, isn't it? It's the only way to figure it out. It, it is. And I tell people, I, I, I host a podcast myself, and I was talking with a guest yesterday about this, and I tell people this all the time. There are some humans who can 
on day one, go start a business. If you've ever met Alex from 2U Laundry, I'd say he's one of those exceptional humans who can do it on day one. If you're like me or most people that I've run into, you, you probably need to see other people do it and you need to find mentors and you need to see it done successfully and poorly. And so I tell most people, look, don't start a company unless you're willing to put everything on the line and you're, and you're certain of it. Um, you might be better off joining a growing company where some of the hard work has already been done and there's some people who have, who, who have been there and done that before. And, and that was what it was for me. I always worked for small businesses, not scalable businesses, but small businesses owned by a family. And, and then as I started getting into more enterprise scalable type of businesses, I was always very fortunate to have people to look up to who had been there in the early days and could teach me some of the other aspects of the business other than the, the technical aspects of it. And John, I think you hit on a, a key point. You know, we go into this and you have to have an open mind because you don't know what the path ahead is going to hold and whether you have to, to veer off to the right or the left or stay straight. Uh, you touched on something uh, with peer groups. You know, how important our peer groups, or at least that circle around you, where you do have an open mind, where you can say, this isn't working, this is working, I need some help. Yeah, again, unless you're one of these exceptional individuals, and, and, you know, Bill Gates, Steve, Steve Jobs, there are, there are people. The exclusive club. Do. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> if you aren't one of them, the chances of you knowing enough to be successful are very, very slim. I think having an open mind and surrounding yourself with good people and listening to those people, but more importantly, surrounding yourself with diverse people, um, people who have different skill sets, different cultural backgrounds, different belief systems. I think that that creates a more powerful, uh, powerful system. And, and that applies in anything, even if you're working within a big, a big business and you're putting a project team together, I think you need to follow that same principle. You're a guy that started multiple companies that we, we talked about. Uh, where does your entrepreneurial passion stem from? I think it, for me, it, it stems from just having seen other people do it and see how fulfilling their lives were. Not always financially. There are a lot of people who toil at it and, and never really get the big payday that people like to, to kind of romanticize in, in our society. But it's fulfilling for people who have that personality, have a certain personality. I've just seen how fulfilling it can be because when you can actually put your mind to something, put a team together and, and achieve it. There, there's a meaning that you get from that that goes beyond work. It's no longer work. It's something that is, is a passion play for you. And, and again, I don't know that I would have come up with that on my own. I will say that I was one of those who growing up, I always mowed lawns. I always bought and sold candy. I always hustled. You know? um, and, 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 and I think that maybe some of that had something to do with it, but it was really when I saw how fulfilled people's lives were that were, were doing it. So was there a singular moment, event, feeling where you said, okay, it's, it's time to go. Let's move forward with this. Sure. I think that, so I, I joined a startup called Amentra as like the ninth employee. And I already knew at that point that I wanted to do something on my own. And I thought that I was only going to be there for a year or two. I wanted them to teach me how to sell enterprise projects. I, but I really loved the people that were there. We, we really formed bonds that persist to this day. And I joined them in 2003. Um, I ended up deciding to stay because of how much I was learning. I would routinely turn down bigger job offers um, because I felt like I was learning and I was around great people. And I knew if I could continue doing that, that I, that I would find the right time to go out on my own. 
Um, I then went and helped to start a company called NextGrid. Um, it wasn't my idea. It was a friend's idea, but he, he needed some of the skills that I had. And so you could say that was the entrepreneurial journey. That was when I said, hey, I've made a little bit of money from Red Hat buying the old company. I've learned a lot. I, I can go bring it here. But that wasn't really what I think of as me going out on my own, quote unquote. I actually, um, we, we raised $10 million at NextGrid and I realized I need to go out and do my own thing, but I still didn't know what it was. So I went and started doing some independent contracting and I came up with an idea during a bachelor party when I went to pay for pay for a breakfast and didn't know which credit card was giving 5% back on, on food purchases. And I realized, oh, maybe this should be an app. And so I went out and built an app, raised a little bit of money, learned a lot in the process, but never really figured out how to make enough money to turn it into a sustainable business. But that's really, at that point, I knew that, okay, whatever I do from now on, I'm, I'm go it's going to be something that I start or that I'm instrumental from day one in, in getting off of the ground. And that's a, that's a fantastic and different mindset that most people don't have. I mean, the awareness to go pay for breakfast and then come up with an idea and actually go and attack that idea is, is a big thing. And we, you know, I'm a big believer. You put yourself in positions to succeed, but timing matters, doesn't it? Oh, it, it absolutely does. And, and in, in our case with Reward Summit was what we called it. Somebody's going to get that right. The, I assumed that because there was a need that I had that I would be able to, to commercialize it. The reality is mobile wallets weren't far enough along. There was no Apple Pay. There was barely an Android Pay. Adoption was, was abysmal. Um, and more importantly, the, 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 the credit card model that existed back then that may be changing eventually. Um, the way that banks thought about credit cards is they want to trick you into picking one card and just always using it. So we couldn't partner with the banks to sell credit cards because even though we could sell a credit card, they make their money when you use the credit card. And if I'm telling you that this other card is better, it's also very hard to change consumer behavior. But some, but somewhere along the way, there's going to be a shift in that economic model. And what we built and plugged in with mobile wallets or other future forms of payments where you're no longer making a decision on what you're paying with and AI is making it for you. I think somewhere somebody's going to do that. And I do still think that's part of the future of payments. Timing was just bad for us. For me though, I looked at what we built and everything that we had learned in the process. And I said to my partner at the time, why don't big companies build software the way that we just built it? Why aren't they using cloud infrastructures? Why aren't they using product design, user experience? Why aren't they using platform as a service tools? Um, and he told me, he's like, look, the vendors in this place can't speak bank language. He's like, we tried to bring them, a lot of these vendors in at Bank of America and it just wouldn't work. And so when we realized that we had run out of runway on the product, I said, well, why don't we start a consulting company that does that? Because we can talk to banks, but we also understand the technology. And that's exactly what we did. And, and we came up with the name Level because we were leveling the playing field. If you're a bank, you hire Level because you, you need to innovate, but you also need people who understand the constraints that, that of a highly regulated environment. Uh, if you're a smaller company trying to sell to the big companies, you might need help with understanding how those companies operate. I want to talk about something that's, that's so important for uh, startups, other companies that are, are looking for high growth and to move forward quickly, and that's raising money. Uh, I want to ask you, because you are involved with that, 
How does that process work and, and when does it work well? So there's all sorts of different ways to raise money. And, um, and I've done quite a few, quite a few different ones. And I think the way the process works best is if you, if you can find an investor that's willing to take the risks at the stage where you are and who understands what, what the milestones are that you're going to achieve, and it's a partner that brings some strategic value for you, whether they can open doors for employees or for partners or for customers, that to me is the ideal process. And it's a different investor at each stage. Um, I think if you're thinking about raising money to just get something off the ground, you're probably talking to friends and family, <laughs> and you better be pretty sure that you that you can execute because you you might be, they might be throwing that money away, and Thanksgiving and Christmas might become weird. <laughs> so, but if you go a little bit further along and you've made some progress and you've proven that you've taken out the technical risk by building the product, you've maybe proven the mar- product market fit, and now you need to start doing some business development, you're probably talking to uh, an investor who either has done, been there and done that, a former entrepreneur who has some money and some friends who will put money in, or maybe you're talking to an angel fund. Um, but you really, if you're talking at that level, you better have, at a minimum, you'd like to have ideally some revenue and you just need to scale. At a minimum, you need to have a product and product market fit. And then there's a point where you've hit what I'll call escape velocity and it's just a matter of turning the crank and that's where you're talking to VCs or maybe even a private equity a private equity buyer. But I think it's, you take a very different approach to raising money at any of those different stages for sure. I've certainly had that family investment uh, along the line. I'm glad it didn't turn into awkward conversations <laughs> at, at Thanksgiving and Christmas and other family gatherings, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, another area of the business world that continues to accelerate is investing. And you've been on that side as well. I was just curious, when you go to evaluate companies, what is it you're looking at to say, okay, we know we have to get a certain amount and hopefully there's a couple winners in there. When do you feel good or what are some of those items that you you flag and say, okay, this is a good opportunity? Well, it, it's almost cliche, but but the number one thing is, is this a management team that has the chops to get it done? But more importantly, isn't so stubborn that they won't pivot when they need to. And, and again, I say it's cliche because I think that's the number one answer you're going to hear, but there's a reason that that, that that is. And it's most, we've all heard that most businesses fail, but most businesses that are run by somebody who's done it successfully before are going to be successful again. And so that's important. Beyond that though, I think looking at problems where you have a 10x solution. I think that if you're going to disrupt an industry, you'd better be 10 times better than the way people are, are currently doing it. If you're only marginally better, um, it's it's probably not something that's gonna lead to a good outcome for, for everybody involved. So I think those are the two most important things. The other facet of business is building a, a brand and culture. I, I kind of put those together because I think the brand relies on the culture and, and vice the versa. The two are inextricably linked. And I, I came to that realization during a podcast interview on mine. I was like, wait, these two are the same thing. <laughs> or two different sides of the same thing, I agree. So from your seat, how critical is that in, in building it? And then also as, as the co-founder, your role, you know, Tim, who's not with us today, but myself, co-founders of Spherical Media, we have taken culture and we wanted to make it into something fantastic and continue to, to build upon it. Because they say, if you don't define it, it will define you. And usually that's not good. But from the co-founder seat, when you're starting a business and you say culture, where do you go from there? Well, so first of all, I, I heard it 
summarized very, very effectively a couple of years ago. Somebody was talking about culture, a very successful business from the UK, and they said, why invest in culture? And they said, culture is the one sustainable advantage that any business can create. No other advantage is sustainable in the long run other than culture. And then you talk about what is culture. Well, culture is the way that people behave when there is no policy. <laughs> and so to me, culture is important because it, it is how people are going to behave. It's what's going to make people not leave for the next $5,000 a year raise. It's what's going to make people put up with a shitty project and, and, and not get up and walk away. And those are things you just cannot put a value on. And you're absolutely right. If I don't define the culture, there's going to be a culture. It, I'd rather be part of defining that rather than just reacting and, and, and it kind of becomes whatever whatever it is, however it evolves. So, John, now we move to these these rapid-fire personal questions. There's, there's a couple of these. Again, they're intended to be fun, so we'll see what, <laughs> see what we come up with here. Outside of the office, what keeps you moving and motivated? Um, I, I think health and, and, and fitness are, are really keep me motivated. Um, I'm 44 years old. I just turned 44 a week ago, and... And, and I have a higher energy level than I did in my late 20s and early 30s. And, and, and I like that. And I want that to persist as long as possible. So that always, always motivates me. It's interesting because I think we, we, most of us try to make smarter decisions uh, as we get older. Second one, what advice do you have for college students and other young adults that are interested in ver- various areas of the business that you're involved in? We talked about a lot of them. Yeah, I'd go back to what what kind of motivated me to stick to stick with a mentor even after the first couple of years, and it's I, I tell people do not focus on on job hopping for the sake of increasing your salary. Get yourself into a place where you're growing your network and you're growing your skills, and the money will come. It's it and the success will come and the great opportunities will come. But as long as you're learning and growing your network, you're moving in the right direction. So this one is probably not that fun, or it could be because of an opportunity that's lurking, but what keeps you up at night? Oh, geez, there's so much that keeps me up at night. I think right now what's keeping me up at night is we're, we're executing on a lot, and, and I've been thinking about what we're doing for a very long time, and and now we're in the mode where, where we're executing. And, and frankly, for us, we're at kind of a, a crossroads over the next month or two where the decisions we make right now are going to dictate where we are two or three years from now and the uncertainty around that and the second guessing of decisions that I'm making that that's what keeps me keeps me up these days so this is the last one of this grouping give us a fun fact that most people wouldn't know about you that can include a, a hobby thing you enjoy doing etc interesting a fun fact about me um I you know you saw my um, my mask here. We're we're in a COVID era, so we're we're wearing masks and being being careful. And it's a Wu Tang symbol. I am um, a, a, an old school and underground hip hop junkie to the point where I, w- I was at a, a karaoke bar and um and I offered up to do karaoke to Mob Deep Shook Ones, mm-hmm. and the karaoke machine actually broke. <laughs> and, and so I had to go without any words and I got about 90% of it done. So that's the, that's the kind of hip hop fan that I am, which sometimes surprises people. That's pretty great. You know, that makes me think of uh, Warren G regulate was always one I'd go to for karaoke. So yep. in that same grouping, good stuff, John, I want to thank you so much for, for stopping by and chatting with us. Yeah, Jared, thank you so much. And I know Tim isn't here with us, but I thank him, him as well. I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing.
We appreciate that. I want to remind our listeners that you can find out more about us at spiritualbuzz.com. Find more episodes of The Hive Life by visiting the podcast page of our website under the Resources tab. We'd also love you to follow us on our social media platforms at Spiritual Media. For John Espy, I'm Jared Latch. Thanks for listening and so long for now. You've been listening to The Hive Life, brought to you by Spiracle Media. Always remember, you can visit spiraclebuzz.com or follow us at Spiracle Media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'll see you next time on The Hive Life.